This is not a drill. This is not a drill. Repeat this is not a drill. No it ain't. Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles. This is the broadcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast, 106.7 FM Queso in Cottage Grove, 92.9 FM WLRI in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, 88.5 FM KAKU in Maui. In Columbus, Ohio, on WGRN 94.1 FM. In Palinville, New York, on 102.9 FM WLPP. And in Minneapolis, St. Paul, on AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. We're also heard streaming coast-to-coast and around the globe on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Detour Talk, Radio Monterey, and Radio Sputnik, amongst other fine uh, affiliates, terrestrial and otherwise, blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow from bradblog.com. No, this is very much not an alert, uh, not a drill, I should say, for uh, folks in Northern California. We will get to that uh, continuously breaking news story since uh, someone uh, unfortunately called it a fluid situation uh, yesterday. <laughs> unfortunately, a little too fluid. We'll get to that in a moment. But first, happy World Radio Day. Oh, yay. Yes, it is. It's World Radio Day, and uh, I'm noting this because uh, it's also important to note that in 2016, more people listened to the radio than watched TV or their smartphones. Just saying. Yes, people still rely on the radio, the terrestrial radio signals that we are heard out over our public airwaves. Um, They are still important. I wish Democrats would understand that. I've been spending years trying to uh, help Democrats and progressives understand how important the public airwaves are. And they just don't seem to care. They they have been willing to cede it to right wingers. So who own the talk radio airwaves talk across radio most airways. of the country? Yeah. Well, actually, we own them. Yes. They own the licenses um, <clears throat> to and they broadcast have used them to good effect. Yeah, to good effect for them, to ill effect for the nation. I'm sorry to say, and the world. Uh, <clears throat> and we've got uh, well. An, an example of just how important radio is to a whole bunch of people as I was watching them uh, uh, trying to evacuate last night in Northern California from from uh, from the town of Orville, California, and uh, trying to cross over the river stuck in traffic and thinking, boy, oh boy, I bet people were relying on the radio last night as they were trying to get the hell out. All right. Last week, we reported on the French nuclear power plant that did not blow up. There was an explosion in the in the boiler room of that uh, of that French plant, but the plant happily uh, itself, the nuclear um, 
power plant itself, the reactor, did not blow up. We did not have a nuclear nightmare on our hands that day, and that felt like a great day. That's how low the bar has now sunk in, it seems to me, how low our expectations are. But frankly, any time a, uh, a, a nuclear power plant does not explode, that now seems like a good day uh, in, in the Trump era. So to that end, I guess, some more good news today at least for now, the nation's tallest dam did not collapse and did not kill tens of thousands of people over the weekend, as was feared uh, and, and seemed to be very, very possible for a couple of pretty scary hours late on Sunday night. So the good news, once again, the dam did not burst yet. But... We've got a big we got a week of rain coming up later this week, and that could change the calculations very quickly once again. So I know everyone is sort of, uh, you know, well, at least on Sunday night, like much of the nation, uh, a lot of the people were watching the Grammy Awards last night. Uh, and today they're watching what stupid thing Donald Trump uh, said or will say or has done. Uh, but I got to tell you, out here in California, a lot of us last night were watching uh, with bated breath, what was happening at the Orville Dam in Northern California. We were watching that very closely after the state's Department of Water Resources, the DWR, um, had earlier in the day said that everything was fine. And then suddenly they changed their assessment and announced that failure of the Lake Orville's, uh, Orville's uh, auxiliary spillway was imminent, they said, within the hour. And a massive evacuation, which is now still in effect today, was ordered for some 188,000 people in the path of what could have been and what still could be a catastrophic failure of the huge uh, uh, dam and of uh, the Lake Orville that supplies drinking water to much of the state, including those of us down here in Southern California. CNN reported that in the worst-case scenario, uh, according to one official, an uncontrolled release from the dam could send a 30-foot wall of water downstream. This is, and we've got a reprise because the weather has cleared and they were able to drain the lake, and I'll give you uh, some of the specifics on the engineering problem that suddenly occurred. Um, but there is another weather uh, There's another, another weather system, system that is coming. headed out yeah. on the way. should arrive either Wednesday night or Thursday morning. And, and my apologies, I have a cold still, so my voice is a little different today. The uh, This weather system, yes, I hope you're feeling uh, a little <laughs> bit better. But in any event, yeah, this weather system is a big weather system that uh, could change all the calculations here. So here's what we know. Uh, California Governor Jerry Brown has issued a state of emergency to help local authorities with the situation, including the evacuations. He's put out a statewide alert to the uh, to the California National Guard to be prepared to help in this situation, to either help repair the failing structure, if necessary or otherwise, with what could be a catastrophic situation if this auxiliary spillway on the dam gives way. So this all comes after about five years of drought out here in Southern California. Des, we've been talking for years about it now. Yes, years about it on the Green and, News Report. And unprecedented. Uh, yeah. And now we've got the opposite. We've got way too much water in California suddenly, way too much rain, and that has filled the Lake Orville Reservoir to overflowing. Now, that's not usually a problem since there's a concrete spillway 
that uh, to let water out of the lake, uh, out of the reservoir into the Feather River below, which runs to the Sacramento River and through the state capitol and then out to the San Francisco Bay. But uh, so normally when the lake fills up and it has not filled up for years, as a matter of fact, photographs of this lake this is the fullest it has ever been in its history. It's never come this close except in 1997 when we had our last big El Nino. So what's happened is that we have the regular dam, and they say for the moment that the regular dam is not in danger. Mm -hmm. Then to the left of that, if you look at a photo, you'll see there is a concrete spillway. Right. And that's what that's what began to to crumble last week from all of the water. What I, I actually started to say was that this lake itself was uh, used. The photographs were used to show how dry it was yes. uh, over the past few years because this huge lake had like nothing in it. Now right. it's completely full, as you say. So you've got the dam and you mentioned that concrete spillway that began to crumble from all of the water pouring out of the lake, they had to open that spillway so the lake itself did not overflow. And now that uh, that spillway, that concrete spillway, has a huge 250-foot-long, 170-foot-wide uh, gash in it, essentially, in the middle of this spillway that is supposed to allow the water out of the lake. And that uh, that gash is also about 40 to 50 feet deep. That could give way even more uh, and so officials were worried about that entire concrete spillway collapsing. So they pulled back how much water they were allowing to run out of it. Um, and and this hole is so big. Uh, Bill Croyle, the acting director of the Department of Water Resources, says you don't just throw a little bit of rock in it and seal it up. It's huge. It's not like an engineering problem they could no, it's like looking at a overnight. slide and taking out a chunk of that slide. And every time the water goes over it, it takes out even more of the soil down to the bedrock, which is part of what's holding the dam in place. And so that, right, exactly. And that uh, that main spillway crumbling meant that they could, you know, had to ease back on the amount of water that was left, let, uh, let go through it. They can control that. But there's an auxiliary spillway, which is only for emergencies, and they can't control that. And they've never used that in the 50-year or so history of the dam. I think it's 49 years old or something this year. Uh, and that auxiliary speedway basi uh, spillway, basically when the water uh, fills up in the lake, the water just spills over the side it's of a, the right. spillway. It's a passive spillway. So once it gets overtopped, it just spills over. There is no way to control that. And mm -hmm. it flows down an unlined hillside. A hillway. Yeah, a hillside. Uh, there, there's no concrete. It's just a hillside. Now, the lip above the uh, that hillside, the that emergency spillway. Yeah, auxiliary spillway, that is concrete. But as the water flowed over it onto the hillside, the hillside developed a huge hole right below this concrete lip. And if I understand it, that led officials to believe that that concrete lip, in, in essence, was in imminent danger of collapsing. And much of the lake could then come spilling out with it if, in fact, that concrete lip gave way. Uh, that's the situation that suddenly developed out here in California late Sunday night in a panic when all of a sudden they had to order uh, hundreds of th 188,000 uh, people in the in harm's way of this dam. Uh, and what was described at the time as imminent collapse, they said within the hour. 
Um, Kevin Lawson, the California Fire Incident Commander, uh, said that the erosion of the emergency spillway is dangerous because when you start uh, to erode the ground, the dirt and everything else starts to roll off of that hill. He said it starts to undermine itself. If that is not addressed, if that's not mitigated properly, essentially what we're looking at, he said, is approximately a 30-foot wall of water coming down into the town of Oroville and then into the valley uh, beyond that, all the way down uh, to the ocean, Sacramento, and yes. then out into the, uh, to the ocean. Now, the dam itself, according to officials anyway, is not in danger of collapse. It's a 770-foot tall earthen dam. It's the tallest dam in the nation. It's taller than Hoover Dam. If you've ever been to Hoover Dam, it is taller than that. But if that emergency, and that's fine, that 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 section of the dam is believed to be fine. (laughs) Of course, they also thought the auxiliary uh, uh, spillway was fine, too. But in any event, uh, if that emergency spillway collapses, um, it could be, uh, pardon the pun, damn near the same thing as the dam itself collapsing, as I understand it, 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 as far as the amount of water. It it could conceivably drain the reservoir. Uh, So that's when the uh, National Weather Service and officials uh, put out that extraordinary warning. This is not a drill. This is not a drill. Repeat, this is not a drill. That was actually in the National Weather Service's uh, alert. Uh, now, I don't want to play it because I don't want to scare people who are just tu- <laughs> tuning in and thinking it's just, a, a, a you know, ongoing. Because for, na- for the moment, we have a reprieve. But, you know, even the command post, you know, overlooking the uh, uh, the dam, what had to be evacuated last night. That's how close this was to what could have been con- complete failure. And it brings to mind to those of us in California who are even aware of this, the San, Fr- the San Francis Dam, which was back in 1920, was it? 1928? It was 1928. It was the St. Francis Dam disaster. It was the largest civil engineering disaster in United States history. But most people haven't heard of it. Uh, yeah, I hadn't even heard of it until a few years ago when we happened to go through the town where it was. And I thought, wait, Saint- what? Santa Paula. Santa Paula. And it was the largest uh, at the time, I believe it was the largest man-made disaster in in right. the U.S. It may still be. I'm not sure. Or if well, the it's still World the largest civil engineering. Yeah. But yes, there are uh, other issues about man-made disasters that have occurred since then. But yeah, as far as civil engineering failure, that was the biggest. It killed tens of thousands of people down here. This is a bit closer to Southern California, the St. Francis Dam, when that failed. Uh, killed tens of thousands, of pe- countless numbers of people at this well, point. Well, an unknown number only confirmed about 500 deaths, but they have no idea how many were swept out to sea. <sighs> yep. Uh, so that was certainly on my mind uh, when I heard of this last night. So for people who don't understand the destructive nature of these dams when they fail. Well, a lot of people also don't understand that You know, in the United States, they think, oh, just go build a dam. You'll have some power. You'll have some water storage. No problem. It's actually way more difficult than that. The terrain has to be selected very carefully. And the terrain is also very unstable in some areas. So Mm -hmm. pretty much all the good places for reservoirs in California are already taken. And that was one of those back in 1926. It was built. It was considered to be one of the best uh, available remaining locations for a reservoir. And they discovered it was not. About 35,000 people 
uh, live in uh, in Butte County, which would be directly affected, and uh, 65,000 people from Yuba County, 76,000 from Yuba City, 12,000 from Marysville City. All of them were evacuated, uh, or at least they were evacuating, according to California Fire. Stores have been closed. Shelters have been opened. Local gas stations have been swarmed with cars as residents tried to leave town. Evacuees waited in traffic trying to get out of these low-lying areas. Sean Dennis, who uh, lives 30 miles out of Oroville, for example, uh, told CNN that he had been in his car for four and a half hours in bumper-to-bumper traffic. He said it was pretty scary just because of how fast everything was developing. Boy, no kidding. Sitting in the car listening to these uh, reports going on. He said, me and my wife managed to throw as much of our stuff as we could into garbage bags, whatever we could find. We got both of our cars loaded down pretty well. We're not taking any chances. Uh, Police have said that despite rumors, there have been no reports of looting. That's good news. But a lot of people uh, trying to get out, trying to figure out where the hell to go. And now there is no no idea when those people are going to be allowed back. That's right, because... In this brief window of opportunity between storms, they're going to try to shore up that emergency auxiliary spillway by basically dumping rocks into the hole to see if that can help to mitigate the uh, the flow coming out of it. Um, but once those other storms begin and it's something like seven days of storms are forecast coming up later this week, they cannot let those people back in because it's too dangerous. Still. And, and this effort to uh, drop rocks, there was reports that that was ongoing uh, in the then it was not ongoing. That's a lot of rocks and unclear uh, how, how much it's going to be able to shore up. We're going to speak with someone shortly who's uh, in the area who may be able to help us understand if that operation is, in fact, underway. Uh, but how they're going to be able to repair either the main spillway or the emergency spillway at this point with this weather system coming in, that's unclear. But they're going to have to act fast with that weather coming in. Uh, so this could actually get much, much worse, uh, but at least hopefully now most of the people I'm hoping in the danger area have now been able to get out safely. Uh, but the damage, if the worst if the worst happens here uh, and the spillway collapses entirely, the damage to homes, to business, to property, all the way down to Sacramento even could be uncount- uh, just just indescribable, to be frank. Marcus Brown, an engineer and uh, a filmmaker in California, wrote this uh, just a few minutes ago before we went to air. He he, uh, included this was on Instagram, put a shot of uh, what the valley in the area looks like right now, which is just completely saturated. These farmlands are already saturated. He says if the emergency spillway would have failed last night, the minimum the minimum amount of water that probably would have been released, he said, and I'm sure erosion would have allowed more to ultimately exit the lake, would have been approximately 312 trillion gallons. 312 trillion gallons, he says, that's enough to cover the state of Rhode Island in a foot of water, enough to fill one million football fields with one foot of water, or one football field with a column of water 176 miles tall. Just to give you an idea of what we're talking about here, uh, just to give you an idea of why this is important. He says that amount of water in this valley would likely have been the biggest dam disaster in American history. He said, I'm not trying to make a point. 
Uh, I'm trying to give a sense of scale so people can wrap their heads around the potential threats at the moment. This isn't political, he notes. And unless you work for the uh, DW, uh, Department of Water Resources or the government and are privy to all of the compounding factors that landed us in this situation, he says, keep your politically skewed comments off my post. And boy, did this become political quickly last yes, night. Yes, it did. Uh, when you saw, you know, Donald Trump support supporters saying, good, you know, I hope this does hit all of those people. They're from California. Well, newsflash, just for those people who don't understand California, the area that is most threatened here by what could be a catastrophic disaster, that area, by the way, went for Donald Trump in California. So when you're hoping for the loss of life because it's oh, those uh, those liberal lefty Democrats, yeah. It's your friends. It's uh, the Trumpsters who are who are in danger. And yeah, I think we ought to give a damn about it no matter whose life it is. Marcus Brown goes on to say it's a crisis and being an armchair quarterback pointing fingers at a time like this is fundamentally flawed approach if the aim is to save lives and stabilize the situation. So but here's the thing. This exact scenario, what is now unfolding in Northern California, this exact scenario, the fear of water overflowing and eroding the hillside at the emergency uh, uh, spillway and threatening the structure itself, that was warned about. That was warned about 12 years ago by, yeah, you guessed it, those lefty environmentalists. And as usual, you guessed it, they were ignored by both state officials and by federal officials. That story and my guest from, from one of the groups who tried to warn officials a dozen or so years ago about exactly this and a late update from officials uh, on the state of the dam at this time and the concerns about what lies ahead as the weather turns very rainy again. That is next on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. <laughs> Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. We're back to the broadcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com talking about the uh, Orville Dam situation right now in Northern California, which uh, risks, uh, well, 188,000 uh, people have now been evacuated as uh, that dam could give way, not the dam itself, but the auxiliary uh, spillway, which in effect, the emergency auxiliary spillway, if that gives way, then in effect, you could see as much water pouring out of there as, as you would see if the dam itself, the uh, Orville Dam, the largest in the country, actually gave way as the uh, hillside continues to... Uh, Road beneath the emergency spillway and the uh, regular spillway, the main concrete spillway itself, uh, that already has a huge gash in it. 
as this news was developing last night and as this sudden evacuation order was issued in Northern California for almost 200,000 people, the Mercury News uh, in the Bay Area uh, had an excellent report uh, from Paul Rogers, came out very quickly on this. I want to read from this report. More than a decade ago, federal and state officials and some of California's largest water agencies rejected concerns that the massive earthen spillway at Orville Dam, that would be the auxiliary uh, spillway, which has no concrete on it, um, rejected concerns that that spillway, which is now at risk of collapse, could erode during heavy winter rains and cause a catastrophe. Three environmental groups, the Friends of the River, the Sierra Club, and the South Yuba Citizens League, they sound easy to ignore already, don't they? Uh, those three environmental groups filed a motion with the federal government on October 17, 2005, as part of Orville Dam's relicensing process, urging federal officials to require the dam's emergency spillway to be armored with concrete rather than remain as an earthen hillside. It's that earthen hillside that is now uh, giving away, has developed a huge hole right beneath the concrete lip of this lake that could collapse if it uh, over uh, tops again with this uh, rain system coming in now in a day or so. The groups filed the motion with the uh, Federal Energy Regu Regulatory Commission, FERC. Oh, those damn regulations. They filed the motion with FERC. They said that the dam built and owned by the state of California and finished in 1968 did not meet modern safety standards because in the event of extreme rain and flooding, fast rising water would overwhelm the main concrete spillway. That's exactly what happened. And then flow down the emergency spillway and that that could which is exactly what happened. And that could cause heavy erosion. Again, that's exactly what happened. That would create flooding for communities downstream, but also could cause a failure known as loss of crest control. The groups wrote that a loss of crest control could not only cause additional damage to project lands and facilities, but also cause damages and threaten lives in the protected floodplain downstream. FERC rejected that request back in 2005, however. That's the Federal uh, Energy Regulatory Commission after the State Department of Water Resources and the water agencies that would likely have had to pay the bill for the upgrade said that those upgrades were unnecessary. Those agencies include the Metropolitan Water District of Southern California down here, which provides water to 19 million people in L.A., in San Diego and other areas, along with the State Water Contractors, which is an association of 27 agencies that buy water from the state of California through the State Water Project. Federal officials at the time said that the emergency spillway was designed to handle 350,000 cubic feet per second of water and that the concerns about it were overblown. It's important uh, to recognize this is from John Onderdonk, John Onderdonk, a senior civil engineer with FERC at the time uh, in the uh, San Francisco office back in 2006, in his memo, he said it's important to recognize that during a rare event with the emergency spillway flowing at its design capacity, a spillway operations, uh, spillway operations would not affect reservoir control or endanger the dam. That was with uh, the presumption that 350,000 cubic feet per second 
could flow over that spillway, that emergency spillway, onto the hillside, and there was nothing to, to worry about. But on Sunday, with the flows over that emergency spillway, just 6,000 to 12,000 cubic feet per second. Remember, they were saying it could handle 350,000 feet per second. This was just six to 12,000 uh, cubic feet per second. With that kind of flow uh, and the water only a foot or two deep and uh, less than 5%, less than 5% of the rates that the federal regulators had said was safe about 12 years ago, erosion at that spillway became so severe that the officials from the State Department of Water Resources ordered that evacuation of 188,000 people. The fear was that the erosion could undercut the 1,730-foot-long concrete lip along the top of the emergency spillway and allow billions, if not trillions, of gallons of water to pour down the hillside toward the uh, town of Orville. And that uncontrolled release, Paul Rogers writes at the uh, Mercury News, from California's second-largest reservoir, uh, while it was completely full, could become one of the worst dam disasters in U.S. history. That could still happen. Back at the time, Ron Stork, the policy director with Friends of the River, a Sacramento environmental group that had filed uh, the motions in 2005, uh, he says that they said, are you really sure that running all this water over the emergency spillway won't cause the spillway to fail? He says that they tried to be as evasive as possible. It would have cost money to build a proper concrete spillway, Stork said, as he watched in horror <clears throat> on Sunday night as the emergency spillway was at risk of collapse. He said, I'm feeling bad that we were unable to persuade the Department of Water Resources or the federal Energy Regulatory Commission uh, and the Army Corps of Engineers to have a safer dam. Stork said that officials from the Department of Water Resources told him informally at the time that the Metropolitan Water District and the water contractors who buy water from Orville did not want to incur the extra cost. So as usual, the lefty environmentalists appear to have been ignored. Their warnings appear to have been ignored 12 years ago. Here now to talk about uh, being ignored 12 years ago is Eric Wesselman. He is the executive director of the Friends of the River in Sacramento. Prior to that, he was the executive director of the Tuolumne River Trust. Eric, I know it's a very busy day here today uh, and that uh, you've been working also with Ron Stork, uh, who was uh, fighting 12 years ago or so to try to shore up this auxiliary spillway with with concrete. Uh, first, before we talk about that problem, that failure, uh, what, what can you tell us right now uh, about the latest now that light has come to the to the dam and officials have been able to inspect the damage following yesterday? Any idea what the latest situation is there at the Orville? Dam. Yeah, well, I, my understanding is that, you know, we, we have a little reprieve here, and um, uh, that is a critical little window of opportunity because there's an, ex an expected system coming in, uh, if not uh, two or mm -hmm. three, on the heels of the one we just had. So, you know, the wet water year continues, um, and so they're using this time um, uh, to do what they can to shore up, 
you know, the, the spillways uh, to, and, and to continue releases so that they can lower the level of the reservoir to make room for expected inflow. And when you say and, do what they can, there was uh, talk yesterday of dumping rocks into, uh, I, I think, the, the hole, the gash that had developed in the auxiliary spillway. Is, is that actually occurring as far as you know, Eric? Yep, that's my understanding. And, you know, and they have not lifted the evacuation order yet. So that's the news out of DWR, the Department of Water Resources today. And, um, and you know, I think that's the right call. And, you know, of course, first and foremost here uh, is just our, our best wishes and thoughts that are with the, the folks that are in harm's way here. You know, it's, this is a very serious event, and um, you know, hundreds of thousands of people are uh, put at risk by this. And, yeah. um, but there needs to come a time when we look forward uh, and, and uh, in terms of what we're going to do, you know, take these lessons learned and, um, and start taking action to shore up our infrastructure to make sure that communities are protected and people are protected, as well as, you know, the rivers um, and the fish and wildlife that call them home that were just blown out by these massive releases out of Oroville. Uh, yeah, indeed, and and you're right. I'm I'm quite concerned about what will happen. Frankly, in the in the short term, in the days ahead, with that other uh, uh, looks like a big weather system coming in. But but you guys uh, warned uh, the uh, friends of the river uh, and the Sierra Club. I know you work with the Sierra Club as well, Eric. Uh, you guys had warned about 12 years ago that the auxiliary spillway should be shored up with concrete, but at the time, apparently, both federal and state officials seem to have ignored uh, those warnings. Uh, Whose failure was that, as you see this? Was this California's failure? Was this the federal government's failure? Or is there enough failure to go around in this case, Eric? Well, I mean, I I think, you know, there's, there's, of course, there's, room for finger pointing and people will do that but uh, you know the acting director of DWR has already said that you know once we get through this crisis that there will be a full review mm-hmm. and I'm sure these issues will be on the table of course um, it would have been you know we are disappointed that the issues were not on the table and taken more seriously 12 years ago when we first raised them um, but that's not you know the goal of Friends of the River is not to have a gotcha moment here but it's to to you know to get to a place where stakeholder groups like ours are taken more seriously at the table when critical decisions are being made and considered mm-hmm. and that we're not just um, sort of dismissed as, as, as whatever, right? So, yeah. um, you know, these are stakeholder-driven processes. In this case, it's a relicensing process of, um, of the Oroville Dam, which is ultimately determined by the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. And the public can and needs to engage in these kinds of proceedings to make sure that dam safety meds needs are met as well as fish and wildlife and recreational needs are met, and that we're just managing our reservoirs in the most sort of efficient, smart ways possible. Well, you hit on a point, Eric uh, Wesselman, that that has been sort of driving me crazy since I saw this uh, uh, report last night, uh, you know, that in fact you guys, Friends of the River, Sierra Club, South Yuba Citizens League, were all talking about this a dozen years ago. If you, you know, and the Sierra Club and, and other so-called lefty environmentalists saw this a potentially devastating disaster, I'm trying to figure out how it was that you were so easily ignored. But in truth, we see this a lot, don't we? Uh, you know, groups like yours, oh, they're just the tree huggers, the lefties, don't pay attention to them until disaster strikes. And this feels like one of those moments to me, uh, Eric. Uh, Hopefully disaster, the worst disaster doesn't strike. But 
it's kind of maddening that folks like you are ignored when you bring up these very reasonable issues. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think, you know, these, these, we have the, you know, community-driven or stakeholder-driven processes for a reason so that we can get to the best kind of decision outcomes possible. And so, you know, I, I think part of the issue is the money, following the money and the cost. So the Oroville is part of the state water project in California. Mm-hmm. And there are a number of contractors that get water from the state water project. The biggest is the you know, Metropolitan Water District of Southern California, right? So they, they're supposed to be paying for, and that money goes to DWR for the maintenance and operation of the state water project facilities. And so you can imagine that there's, you know, there's a desire to not to spend as little money as possible on these kinds of, of, of projects. And in a way, you look at, you know, Northern California, that's where the water's coming from, and it's going to Southern California, but it's Northern California communities that we're seeing take the brunt of the risk, and it's mm-hmm. our rivers in Northern California that are taking the, the brunt of the punishment as well. And so there's a bit of an imbalance there, and I, I think there's a need to ensure that the beneficiaries of this water certainly pay for um, not only the operation and maintenance, but for the safety uh, and as well as environmental mitigation and restoration that needs to be done. You mentioned uh, the uh, ecological disaster. Obviously, we're keeping our eyes on the, you know, the human uh, toll that could occur here in a worst-case scenario. But uh, t- talk to me about the ecological disaster, those concerns, uh, if, in fact, this, uh, this spillway does give way and, and you know, as much of a 30 wa- uh, 30-foot-high wall of water could come uh, pouring forward. What are the uh, ecological concerns, Eric? Yeah, and certainly we're concerned about the downstream communities, and that's uh, um, um, a major consideration mm-hmm. here, sure. to be certain. But if uh, at the same time, you know, we've lost already 90% of the spawning habitat for salmon species and, and, and uh, steelhead species and adamus fish in California. And so you have what you have left is what's downstream of these mega dams and mega reservoirs. And when you have a massive flood event, like we've already seen, but if, it's, if the emergency spillway actually gave and you had you know, hundreds of thousands of acre feet of water pouring down, it just blows out the whole ecosystem, right? So the fish are there, but they're, more importantly, they're where they've spawned, their eggs, they're the reds they're called. Those all get blown out and washed out too. The hatchery fish, there's a hatchery there. They already moved some of those hatchery fish, but I'm, obviously the survival rate is going to go way down or the mortality rate is going to go way up, you know, conversely. And so we're going to see a drop in the um, salmon steelhead fish populations as a result already, and that has an impact on recreational fishers as well as the commercial salmon fishing industry. And yeah, and I know there was uh, some amazing engineering feats going on uh, over the past uh, few hours and days trying to save those uh, those steelhead salmon and and their eggs. There, yeah. uh, it's 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 an amazing effort, and uh, I, I'm. I don't know. I'm just I, I get infuriated when I see something like this happening, when we can look back at the documents from 12 years ago and the way you guys described it at the time is exactly what is going on right now. Um, just amazing. Uh, what can we do before I let you go here, uh, Eric uh, Wesselman? What, what can we do? Is there anything that uh, we, the people, the public can do to to help you guys up there at this time with this? Uh, ongoing and or potential uh, disaster? Yeah, well, I'm sure there will be relief, um, you know, to the extent that evacuation continues, there will be need for support of, you know, the relief efforts. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, looking at the road ahead, you know, for Friends of the River, we need to be more engaged 
than we are. We can't just be a seat at the table talking and providing documents and reports. We need to be more engaged as advocates, promoting what's truly in the public interest and in the interest of what's held in the public trust, our environment. And to do that, you know, we need to, we need to have a stronger presence and be a stronger voice. So obviously it's great to have support from advocates that are volunteers at the front of the river and supporters, donors, members, and other organizations that are working on this kind of stuff to make sure that the public interest is, is protected um, as these kinds of critical decisions are being made. You know, one thing we're very concerned about is an overreaction to this or a misreaction to this from the Trump administration and others in Congress. You know, there's been a lot of talk about infrastructure improvements. So I think the knee-jerk reaction we're going to see is to spend billions of dollars pouring concrete into rivers to shore up facilities. And some of that, sure, there's going to be need for some of that. But, you know, Auburn Dam was promoted on the American River above Folsom Dam as a flood control project. And we figured out a way through 20 years of collaboration. You know, Ron Stork led, helped lead the charge to find a collaborative solution to that that avoided the need for building a new dam that destroyed, you know, miles and miles of rivers in the north and, um, and middle forks of the American River. And, but it still did a, a better job of, of uh, mitigating uh, flood danger or flood risk than building that new reservoir would have. But I'm concerned with this new administration, right? We're going to see just a knee-jerk, yeah, we need to go, you know, dam, divert, and build. And, um, and that's what we did all through the last century, and that's not going to work anymore because we already built it out. We have 1,400 dams and reservoirs in the state, so we need to use more innovative modern solutions. Yeah, of course, then we have to listen to you uh, lefty uh, tree huggers who actually know what the hell is going on. That was, <laughs> right. And so, and that's right. And that's going to be hard to realize that with this administration, I think. I lied. I got one last question <laughs> for you here, Eric. Um, is the water still flowing over, to your understanding, is the water still flowing over that auxiliary uh, uh, spillway at this time? And have officials... Uh, <laughs> Have they given any indication what will come with this weather system coming in? Look, I mean, looking at the weather, it yeah. looks like we're about to have at least seven days in a row of rain up there uh, beginning in a day or two. Yeah, I mean, I'm, uh, so water is no longer pouring over the emergency spillway. And to my, my understanding is that it is still being, though, released at the primary spillway. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and so that's the current, the current situation. And um, so that gives, you know, so they, they're, they're releasing all they can to make room for the incoming, you know, flows that they're going to see over the next few days. And hopefully it works, but it's going to be a nail-biter, of course, and all eyes are on it. And, you know, we need to work together to get through this crisis. And then once we're through it, we need to look forward to what we're going to do in California to make sure that we're managing our water in the smartest, you know, if it's not drought, it's floods, right, in yeah. California. Yeah. And so you know, we could have done a better job getting through the drought and uh, although a lot of Californians stepped up to conserve, but now we're dealing with the opposite side of that coin, which is flood. And it's the same is true there. We need to gear up to find the smart sort of sustainable water management strategies that are out there and available to us so that we can manage California's water for flood control safety, to meet, to meet our water needs in the future and have safe, reliable, affordable drinking water. Uh, Eric Wesselman, Executive Director, FriendsOfTheRiver.org. Like, we needed something else to bite our nails about uh, around here lately. Uh, thank you for the work that you're doing, and I hope you don't mind if we uh, check in with you in the days ahead. Uh, good, good luck uh, up there. Boy, do we need Friends of the River right now. Thank you, sir. Thanks. Thank you for having me. You bet.
All right. Uh, just uh, I've got this uh, story right here that uh, Eric mentioned, um, well, that I mentioned while talking to Eric about this am- amazing engineering feat. This comes from the Chico Enterprise record uh, that, that saved this hatchery, at least for now. Uh, they write, it's not, uh, it's not that often that you can add saving and protecting 9 million fish to your list of lifetime achievements for the crew of more than 66 that pitched in at the Feather River Fish Hatchery over the past week. The hope is that this will never need to be done again. Uh, plans were being made to evacuate uh, the fish hatchery along the river. Uh, At that time, high water was expected, and then later the problem turned that the water was so dirty it could harm the young and vulnerable fish. This because once the concrete spillway gave way, I guess the water was diverted onto the hillside, the water got muddy, uh, and then came down into the hatchery below. And muddy water is deadly. Indeed. Uh, they First, they said they had to move about 5 million tiny fish to a hatchery in Thermalito, uh, which involves scooping up the fish with nets and transportation by trucks. Uh, help, help came from uh, hatcheries throughout the state. So this was over the past week. This was even before the emergency on Sunday that had to evacuate the people. Um, but the work was going on morning till night, apparently. Um, and they were able to move millions of spring-run Chinook salmon, which are listed as threatened on the endangered species list. This left uh, behind uh, 1.9 million fall-run salmon and a million steelhead eggs still in the incubation stage. Steelhead are also listened at, li- listed as threatened. And, of course, you know, one of the fights for years out here in California was, well, what do we care about the fish? What do we care about the, the salmon in the, the delta? They and, just and want to care about some stupid little fish. It's the farmers and the agriculture industry in California that needs the water. Well, Desi Doyen, why do we care about the steelhead salmon and so forth? Because California has a billion-dollar salmon industry, and that's why it's important to maintain healthy rivers because both the commercial industry and the recreational industry and tourism, billions of dollars in the California economy rely on it. And, oh yeah, the food chain, right? Because oh, yeah. that works and its way up. and if you like up. to eat that stuff, it does help as well. Uh, to put it to a, a finer detail on this, those fish hatcheries that are run by the state here in yeah. California supplied between 60 to 90 percent of the salmon that was caught last year because these fish hatcheries helped to maintain the health of the salmon industry. And it, without that, it would have collapsed years and years ago. And by the way, not just the salmon, not not just the salmon industry and the, the people who who might like to eat salmon, but the bears and so forth uh, and the rest of the food chain uh, around the state that relies on that. In any event, what they did was apparently, uh, so they got their fish out of there, but they could not move the the steelhead eggs. They need clean water in circulation. So they scrambled for materials and they came up with uh, this charcoal filtration system. They found six feet tall cylinders and they filled them with charcoal. This was just done, you know, just some amazing engineering feat kind of out of nowhere. And then they built a system of pumps and pipes to run water through that to clean the water uh, and then pump it into the egg trays. Uh, one of the uh, officials said that he was impressed by the, uh, ingenuity, the ingenuity Yeah, <clears throat> demonstrated in a situation where there was, quote, no room for error. The decision makers ranged from the director to the guys scooping fish. They were all trying to figure out how to do this. 
Uh, he said, for me, in my six and a half years with the Department of Fish and Wildlife, this was the biggest collaborative effort I've seen. Engineers are really smart people. They thought, what can we do to save millions of fish? It's just an amazing engineering feat, he said. Uh, and so far, so far, that appears to have been paid off. He says, we've been monitoring the fish after uh, release at the annex facilities, looking for mortality. The number of dead fish has been minimal. If things had turned out another way, the impact on the fish population could have been devastated. Purdy explained that uh, spring-run Chinooks spawn in late September to early October. Steelhead have been actively spawning over the past two months. For steelhead, for example, a large amount of eggs spawned in the river may have been smothered in soil after the erosion that took place at the, at the spillway. Uh, and uh, that uh, right now is a good thing they did because right now it's hard to reach that area at all. The uh, water is backed up into the parking area. The river is, is right up to the parking lot. Yes, and of course, if something does happen with the emergency spillway failing in any way, then all of that work will be washed away by that 30-foot wall of water. But I just want to add there is a climate change component to this, not just the extreme swing from historic drought to record rain and floods. The reason that we're having record rain right now is be partly because California has warmer winters. With a warmer winter, those storms fall as rain, not snow. That rain has to go somewhere. Normally, in the past, it would get stored as snowpack it's in the snow mountains. It's snow and it comes down slowly, slowly into that reservoir. Slowly and gradually. So we are going to have another yeah. issue later on when the spring snow melt in full hits. There's a 150% of snowpack right now, 150% of normal up in the Sierra Nevadas. That is going to eventually melt and come down the mountain as well. So these these repairs not only need to take care of today and tomorrow and next week, but in the spring looking forward as well. At this point, I'm I'm hoping we get through today and tomorrow and the next week to be to be honest because yes, this, uh, but we is, have to look ahead as well we do, because we do. this is not this is not going to go away. This, this is, is not a, a problem that gets better with time. No, it's not. Um, it's very precarious, and I hope the uh, federal government and state government this time at least are paying attention. All right, a quick break, and we're back with more broadcast right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. <laughs> Hey, this is Brad. Given the outcome of the 2016 election, we really need your support now more than ever. Progressive media outlets have been under attack for years, even during supposedly progressive administrations. We are now facing a whole new world and real alternatives to the mainstream corporate media. You know, the folks who got it all wrong from the jump must be able to continue the fight for all of us. This is not a drill. It never was. Please consider a donation to our work here on the Bradcast by stopping by bradblog.com donate to help out however you can. A monthly pledge is greatly appreciated, but anything you can share will keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Yeah, there is other stuff going on in the uh, in the nation and in the world today. Donald Trump met with uh, the uh, prime minister, president, what the is he? Prime minister, prime minister of, of Canada. Canada. Justin Just, Trudeau. Yes, Justin Trudeau uh, today held a press conference and um, 
he called only on friendly media outlets. Let's put it that way. A local uh, Washington, D.C. outlet and the Daily Caller. Tucker Carlson's Daily Caller, I think. Those were the tough questions he got with everything else that's going on. Uh, he, he got, you know, called on only friendly folks. Um, but uh, one of his answers uh, caught my ear, particularly given what we have now learned uh, just after, well, after we got off air last week. Um, well, here, let, me, uh, let me play a little bit of that press conference here. You can never be totally confident, but uh, through the incredible efforts already, I see it happening, of formerly General Kelly, now Secretary Kelly, uh, we have uh, really done a great job. We're, uh, we're actually taking people that are criminals, very, very hardened criminals in some cases, with, uh, which a, with a tremendous track record of, of abuse and problems, mm -hmm. and we're getting them out. And that's what I said I would do. I'm just doing what I said I would do when we won by a very, very large electoral college vote okay and now uh, I, he, I knew well that never was mind going to happen i knew never mind that uh, he he did not win by a very very large electoral college vote whatever he felt like he had to say but he was talking about uh these immigration uh raids that are going on and on our last show we talked about uh this woman uh, guadalupe garcia de reos in phoenix arizona where protesters tried to stop her deportation she had lived here since she was 14 years old she's married uh, she has a couple of, uh, of young kids. Uh, she had been going into the Immigration and Customs uh, Enforcement Agency every six months to report. Uh, and uh, suddenly last week they decided to deport her. She is a threat to no one. Her crime, despite what uh, you heard Obama uh, Obama, see <laughs> what you heard uh, Trump say there. Uh, oh, some some very bad dudes that were rounding up and getting she was arrested back in 2008 during a raid where she works and it was found that she had made up social security a social security number so that she could work there and basically pay taxes that she would never get back social security medicare and so forth that she would never get back that is her crime for which she has now been separated from her family sent away from her two uh, children uh, who are american born citizens um and that's what we were talking about on uh, on Friday, while a lot of people were looking at the the good news out of the court that put a a hold for now on Donald Trump's executive order concerning a, a travel uh, travel ban, Muslims coming into the country. Well, he had already started uh, to deport people who are not bad hombres, who are not these bad guys he's talking about, and here he was lying about it uh, today during this press conference. But not only um, Guadalupe Garcia uh, was deported. As soon as we got off the air on that sh from that show on Friday, uh, news came in that uh, the uh, ICE was having these huge roundups, basically, around the country. Uh, these immigrant raids, U.S. immigration authorities arrested hundreds of undocumented immigrants in at least half a dozen states over the past week in a series of raids that marked the first large scale enforcement of Trump's January 25 order. That was the other executive order to crack down on an estimated 11 million immigrants living here illegally. Officials claimed that the raids were targeting known criminals 
but they also netted some immigrants without criminal records. And this is apparently a a departure from the similar enforcement waves during the Obama administration, who themselves had these these type of raids, but they weren't such a broad net, apparently, and they weren't uh, deporting just kind of anyone and everyone that uh, seems to be getting scooped up here. Now, more than 600 undocumented immigrants across 11 states is being reported today by The New York Times. And that's the first major sweep uh, cracking down since he signed, since Donald Trump signed that executive order that few people seem to be noticing that one. And and just to underscore that these are not criminals, as Donald Trump continues to lie about, these are regular, hardworking family mothers and fathers. You know, they were waiting for people who were were picking up their children from school. Mm. These were not criminals. These were not people with criminal backgrounds. These were they were in no danger to the country at all. 160 immigrants were arrested in the L.A. area, some 200 undocumented immigrants uh, arrested in Georgia, South Carolina and North Carolina this past week. Roughly 40 were arrested in New York. Uh, Those numbers were released Sunday morning in a leaked ICE document published by the uh, New York Immigration Coalition. And uh, ICE confirmed on Sunday afternoon uh, that the fact sheet was legit and another 200 people were arrested throughout the Midwest in Illinois, Indiana, Kansas, Kentucky, Missouri and Wisconsin. So there's a lot going on in our uh, in our country and there is, uh, well, occasional victories, as we saw in court. But I think it would be a mistake to let your guard down and to to get too uh, too caught up in what dumb thing Donald Trump said today. As I've been uh, trying to warn, pay attention to what Donald Trump is doing, not to what he is saying. Um, Because there are serious consequences of it. Uh, Anyway, in any event. All right. We will try to get caught up with a lot more that happened over the weekend, uh, perhaps on our next thrilling broadcast. Until then, my thanks to you, Desi Doyen, our producer. I hope you're feeling better to Eric Wesselman of FriendsOfTheRiver.org for joining us at uh, at last second here today. And my thanks to you. Uh, for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It is greatly appreciated. If you missed any portion of today's program, you can download it as ever for free at bradblog.com. And my thanks to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate, especially today on World Radio Day, to help us stay on your public airwaves, which I uh, have been arguing for years and I will continue to argue are, frankly, more important now than ever. So uh, thank you to all of you uh, who help us continue to do what we do. If you'd like to drop me an email, I can be reached at bradcast at bradblog.com. And you can find me on the Facebooks and the Twitters, where I hope you'll find us, follow us, and share us far and wide. My name there is simply The Brad Blog. All right, that's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. <laughs> <laughs>